appreciate so much uh, the song service this morning and your presence here. And uh, it's a delight to come again to the house of the living God. And I'm so thankful for the commitment of our ministry, uh, Brother Nate and Brother Andy and uh, myself, to point God's people directly to the Word of God. I know that opinions are important, but there's a difference between an opinion and a conviction. Everyone can hold an opinion, but the difference between an opinion and a conviction is that while we may hold an opinion, a conviction is what holds us. I'd like us to direct our attention for a little while to the third chapter of the book of Second Peter, Second Peter chapter 3. We want to title our study this morning, A Present Hope in Past Promises for Future Glory. A Present Hope in Past Promises for Future Glory. Before we read this chapter and unpack the five exhortations that we find in it, we need to remember the context around which Peter is writing these very words. These are the last words of Peter to the church that we know anything about. We have record of it. We know that in 68 AD, in July of that year, Nero... uh, caused half of the city of Rome to be burnt down. And he had to have a scapegoat. According to uh, historians, Roman historians, he had to blame someone for the fire, and he chose the Christian community that was thriving at that point in time in the city of Rome itself, remembering that Rome is the capital of the Roman Empire. And he looked upon the Christian community with disdain and he began a great persecution against the church starting at Rome and one of the leaders of the Christian movement was the apostle Peter Paul had already been martyred uh, and now Peter is brought to Rome and historians tell us that he was able very quickly to write these words to the churches uh, throughout the Roman Empire. He writes these things to encourage them, to strengthen them, to to enable them to withstand the persecution that was coming empire-wide. And now, just before his own death, which historians tell us was by crucifixion, he said that he was unworthy to be crucified as his Lord was, and he requested to be crucified upside down that's Peter the man that wrote the words that we're going to study for a little while this morning in the last chapter of 2nd Peter chapter 3 has very significant instruction for Christian men and women in every age we want to read this chapter together we're going to divide it into five particular parts and we're going to notice what Peter has on his heart this is the only time that Peter refers to his fellow Christians as beloved 
And these exhortations embrace that uh, appeal. These are written to not the pagan, not Nero, not the Roman Empire, but to believers in Jesus Christ. These are things that enable Christian men and women to exist in a very volatile and opposing environment. We're going to read the first section, which is verses 1 through 7. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. The first point, the first exhortation that Peter is calling upon us this morning is to be mindful, to be mindful, to remember the promises of God, to be mindful of what God's word actually teaches concerning the last days. The last days is a scriptural description of the time frame between the coming of the Messiah in the flesh and his second coming at the end of the age. Over and over again, we read the uh, New Testament scripture referring to the last days. These are the last days. We're living in the last days. And at the end of the last days, we are promised that God will send his son in judgment upon the earth. And the wicked are going to be afflicted. His judgment is going to incorporate fire. We need to be mindful of this. In Isaiah chapter 66, verse 15, Isaiah said, For behold, the Lord will come with fire and with his chariots like a whirlwind to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. We know that God destroyed the earth, the, the, the first world order, with water. We are mindful of that this morning. Even though there are those that, that uh, actually deny that the flood ever existed. Do you know that? They deny that the flood ever happened. But uh, the fossil uh, record will show us uh, unequivocally that it did happen. And that it was a worldwide flood. And it was God's judgment upon the earth in that day. Remember Genesis chapter 6. We read that description of the condition of the human race during that period of time that the earth was 
full of violence and full of sinfulness and full of uh, um, a rebellion against the God of heaven. And, and, it, and, and it repented God that he had made man because he saw that he was only evil continually. It was not just a happenstance, uh, periodic uh, a stage of uh, evil. It was an evil continually. And that his very thoughts were evil against the God who had created them. And God said he would send the flood. And he did. He sent the flood upon the earth and all mankind with the exception of Noah and his family, were drowned. We, we're very uh, acquainted with that. We need to be mindful of what God's word says about the judgment that is to come. I'm mindful of when the Apostle Paul stood in Athens and he stood before the high court, the Supreme Court of Athens, and he warned them that God has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by Jesus Christ. In, John, in Acts chapter 17, verse 31. If you have your Bible with you, turn back very quickly uh, to 2 Thessalonians, the book of 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, and listen to what Paul said in verses 7 through 10. He says, And to you Christians who are troubled, troubled by the world, Troubled by the flesh, troubled by the devil, and to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe because our testimony among you was believed in that day. That's a day that is coming when we see wicked and when we see evil, when we see the avarice and the, uh, the, the horrible conditions of our broken and sinful world, we must understand and be mindful that there's a payday someday. There's a payday someday. Folks are getting away with a lot of things in our governmental uh, system today, but there's a payday someday. Before, before the God of heaven, we are going to stand one day. And those who are clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ will have entrance into glory. But those who are not uh, clothed with the righteousness of Christ are going to be separated eternally away from the God of love and mercy. And fire is involved in this judgment to some degree. We're not going to take the time to go back to the Old Testament scriptures that uh, are, are warning of that day of judgment, but I want you to write this down in your notes. Daniel chapter 7 verses 9 and 10. Micah chapter 1 verse 4. Malachi chapter 4 verse 1. These are verses that connect us to what Peter is describing as the voice of the prophets. In the Old Testament, they are warning that God will never again destroy the earth by water, but he will destroy it by fire. He's going to use that. 
Now, I want you to remember something back in our study of the book of Genesis. When we go back to Genesis chapter 11, we find that there was a man named Nimrod who would build a tower for his name. He would build a tower that would be an edifice, a monument of man's rebellion against God. God said to go into all the parts of the earth and replenish the earth, but Nimrod said, I've got a better idea. Let's build a city and a tower. But I want you to remember what that tower was made of. That tower was made of brick. It was made of uh, man-made material. It was made of brick that was fired in a kiln, and it was put together. Does anybody remember what it was put together with? What, was the, what did they use as the mortar for that brick tower? Remember? It was slime. It was asphaltus. It was something waterproof. So in the mind of Nimrod... He was building a tower in which people could hide from the judgment of God. The judgment of God, if it was by water, it's waterproof. If it's by fire, it's fireproof. This was the ideology of Nimrod and the ideology of mankind today. Hiding behind technology, hiding behind science, falsely so-called, hiding behind humanistic philosophy, thinking that in some way by denying the existence of God, they will deny the judgment that God has promised will come. Peter is saying, it's all of the human efforts of men are not going to, uh, to thwart the eternal purpose of a holy God. He says, Beloved, I want to stir up by way of remembrance your pure mind, your sanctified reasoning, your sanctified thought process that you have because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. A pure mind is a mind that is uncontaminated by the seductive influences of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Using this sanctified discernment, you're able to see the signs of the time. And you're not going to be uh, affected uh, by the evil of this generation. I want you to be mindful of what the prophets in the Old Testament scripture said. And what the apostles have taught you these many years. And through the writings of the apostle Paul and other apostles, he's, he's preparing you for the persecution that will uh, be characteristic of the church throughout the ages he says in verse 3 knowing this first that there shall come in the last days scoffers people that ridicule people that mock uh, Christianity people that make fun of Christianity maybe even pass laws against it being exercised in a public place they're mocking God mocking Christianity they're scoffers walking after the their own flesh um and, and they're saying, where is the promise of His coming? You Christians for 2,000 years have been saying that Jesus Christ is coming. And I dare say that He hadn't showed up yet. And because He hadn't showed up yet, I'm not going to believe in Him. I'm not going to fear His name. I'm not going to treasure His name because He hadn't showed up yet. Is there, uh, where is the promise of His uh, coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, I want you to understand what He's saying here. From time immemorial, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation, denying the flood and the existence of the uh, judgment of God against the world and against, remember in Genesis 19, against Sodom and Gomorrah. It, I was enamored by a report 
uh, I heard this week uh, on the Christian uh, news circuit, and it, it was talking about um, they, they've been digging around uh, the Dead Sea for the last 15 years, and they dug down far enough where they found um, building material that was melted by a fervent heat. And they said there's a high density of sulfur and bromine in, in, the, in the brick that they've been uh, uh, testing. And what they said was, and this is not a Christian, uh, this is not a Christian archaeology uh, study, but, but uh, this uh, uh, agnostic uh, scientist said that there is evidence of intense heat at the south end of the Dead Sea. And they can't figure out what happened. All they have to do is read the Bible, friend. Genesis 19. Fire and brimstone fell down from heaven upon that wicked city and the cities of the plain. But see, uh, what Peter is warning is that they'll deny this. The world will deny the judgment of God in the past. He says, but... I'm going to remind you of our teaching about the flood. He says, The world that then was was overflowed with water and it perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, now we're in the second world order. We're in the second uh, uh, part of God's purpose and plan for redemption. And the reason I'm pointing this out is because had God not allowed the earth to be renewed and allowed a life to continue in the planet earth, there would be no redemption for any of us. There would be no salvation for any of us. He says, by uh, the heavens and the earth, which are now this in this second order, by the same word. Whose word? Whose word? Washington, D.C.? No. Whose word? NATO? No. Whose word? Who? No. CDC? No. The word of God. The word of God. And I've said this time and again. God is going to have the last word. Here's his word. By the same word are kept in store reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition or destruction of men. I want to remind us uh, at this juncture that the trumpet judgments of Revelation chapter, chapters 8 and 9, the first, second, third, and sixth judgment incorporate fire. So what he's doing, he's describing what God's going to do upon the wicked in the day of his judgment, in the day of his wrath. And I'll come back to that in just a moment. So, so Peter is saying to the Christian community this morning, he's saying, be mindful. Be mindful of what God's word says about the coming of judgment. The second point comes between verses 8 and 11. Let's read that. But beloved, be not ignorant. Be not ignorant of this one thing that one day with the Lord is as a thousand years. A thousand years is one day just like uh, the psalmist David said in Psalm 90, verse 4, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come, will come, 
as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat, and the earth also, and the works that are therein, shall be burned up. Beloved, be not ignorant. Be not ignorant of God's word. That's a, a that, that's really a, a strong exhortation to us this morning. You see, we need to be intentional. We need to be more intentional about our walk with the Lord. And that incorporates a daily reading and memorizing of the Word of God. Now let's think about this just a moment. Peter is saying that God's timing is perfect. Somebody says, well, Brother Jeff, I, I think everything in the, in the world is falling apart. Well, it's not falling apart. It's falling into place. Because God has a program. God has a purpose. I, 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 I shun the use of the word plan. Uh, he has a purpose, a sovereign decreed purpose for every period of time. Our times are in his hand. All of our times are in his hand. He's the one that is sovereign. I, I think about this in the context of Galatians chapter 4 verse 4 where the apostle Paul said in the fullness of time God sent his son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law. It, it had to be at that point in time that Jesus came. Can I submit this to you this morning? Did you know that you were born into this world at the precise moment that God created you to be born? Every one of us are debtors to God's sovereign will and purpose. Sixty-four years ago today, a pointed head, red-faced little baby boy was born in Farmington, New Mexico, and my own daddy said I look like a Navajo Indian. He told the nurse, that can't be my son. My son's not red. Indians are red. He's red. My dad wouldn't even take me from the nurse. He, he said, that's not my boy. Of course, I didn't know anything about that then, but my daddy told me later. But I want you to know I was born at the precise moment God decreed me to be born. And I'm alive today because of God's sovereign grace. And brothers and sisters, isn't it wonderful? Isn't it comforting for us to know that we're not accidents of nature? That we're not descended from apes? That we're not uh, some kind of a product of a... a primeval slime somewhere but we have been created by God for his glory and his purpose hallelujah the apostle Peter says church be mindful of these things church don't be ignorant don't be ignorant of the truth of God's word and I love this part in verse 9, he's, uh, well, excuse me, uh, he says, uh, remember that God's timing is perfect. Uh, remember also this, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Now, the word slack there means 
delayed, weak, late, or tardy. Now, you school teachers can recognize the word tardy. When the bell rings uh, and someone comes in after the bell rings, they're tardy. They're considered late. They're considered slack. But Peter says, just remember, friends, God is not slack in his program. When the bell rings, he's right on time. When the bell rings, it's going to come to pass. And he says, listen to this. But he is long-suffering, and if you have a pencil, underline the word us. If you have a pencil, underline the word us. But is long-suffering to us-word. Who are the us-word? Who are the us-word? That's the believer. That's the Christian. That's the elect. He is uh, long-suffering to us-word. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Somebody says, well, Brother Jeff, that's why I believe in a universal salvation or universal offer of salvation. But brothers and sisters, if you read that in context, you'll understand that the us, the us, the any, and the all are the same people. They're the elect of God. Us, any, and all. All not without exception, but all without distinction. You see, what he's doing here, he's saying that the end of the age is not going to come. Listen carefully to this. The end of this age is not going to happen until the last heir of promise is born into this world. Until uh, the last one that was chosen in Christ before time ever began was, is born into this world. You, you can rest assured that Jesus is not going to come. All of the elect are going to be born. All of them. Everyone, without the loss of one, for whom Jesus redeemed. The usward. God is uh, long-suffering. That's why he's uh, suffering long with the earth. Until all of his family is complete. Until all of his bride is complete. Jesus Christ is not going to come again. Brothers and sisters, I know there's a lot of talk today about the Antichrist. And, and I'm one of the talkers. Uh, but but I, I, I'm not looking for who is the Antichrist. I'm not looking for the Antichrist. I'm looking for the Christ. I'm not, I'm not looking for another sign this morning. I'm looking for a sound. I'm listening for the sound of that trumpet. When Jesus Christ shall come again a second time without sin unto salvation. And I'm going to rejoice because every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah. I'm, 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 I'm thankful that that time is set and that Jesus Christ is ready to come get his bride and take her home to the place that he prepared for every one of his redeemed. I'm mindful of what the Apostle Paul said back over in Hebrews chapter 6. If you have your Bible, turn it back to verse 18. Listen how, how concrete this is. Listen to how sure this salvation is. Because it's based not upon man's faithfulness. It's not based upon man's good deeds. But it's based upon God's sovereign will and his power to perform that will. 
In Hebrews chapter 6, listen to this carefully. He says in verse 17, wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability, unchangingness of his counsel. He confirmed, he confirmed it by an oath. This is God's word. God cannot lie. God cannot change. God cannot fail. You see, it's based upon him that by this immutable counsel of a holy God, he says, we might, we uh, believers might have a strong, listen, a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope uh, that is set before us. The hope the confidence that is set before us, which hope we have as an anchor to the soul, um, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that which is within the veil, whither the forerunner is uh, for us is entered, even Jesus made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Do you like that? Do you like that? Do you see why we have a present hope in uh, the past promises of God for future glory for every heir of promise. Now, while we're right there, go to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. And this is a great exhortation. He says, let us this morning, let us who are persecuted, let us who are discouraged, let us who have doubts and fears, let us who have made so many mistakes and, uh, uh, and, and have sinned uh, the sin of pride, confess that pride and humble themselves before God. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for He is faithful that has promised. You see, what I'm trusting in this morning is not my own ability, but the promise of an unchanging and a holy and a powerful uh, God in glory. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Peter is pointing us to him in these verses. He's saying all of the elect are going to be saved. All of them without exception are going to be saved and they're going to be saved by the very same power. They're going to be saved by the very same God. They're going to be saved by the very same grace. Isn't that good news this morning? God is not going to fail. He's not going to look down into hell in eternity future and look and say, Oh my goodness, I, I missed old Jeff. He's down there. He shouldn't be there. He should be up here. I'm so thankful that God is that way. Listen to, listen to Peter. Right before he went to that cross, he says, the day of the Lord will come. The day of the Lord will come. That, that's an expression in the New Testament that means the day of judgment. The day of God's judgment will come, and it's going to come as a thief in the night. You know, uh, Jesus in uh, Matthew chapter 24 said, as in the days of Noah, so shall the end of this age be. People will be eating and drinking People will be living life to the fullest. They'll be doing everything conceivable that they conceive in their own mind. But all of a sudden, Jesus is going to appear. I'm looking forward to that. And I hope you are too. He says, and something's going to happen. It's a powerful display of God's power. Listen to this. In the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. It's like an explosion. 
a great noise, and the elements shall burn with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. He's describing what happens at the end of this very age. Somebody says, well, you know, that's a lot of fire when you're talking about the earth. Can I remind you of something? Can I remind you that at the core of the earth, at the core, there's molten lava that is in excess of 12,000 degrees Fahrenheit. And there's just a little bit of crust we call earth. It's about 10 miles, except in Alaska, and it's uh, six and a half miles. But it's only about 10 miles of crust between us and that molten rock underneath us. And just think about the sun, one star, and think about the intense heat that is produced by that sun. It's not unfathomable to me, at least, to think about the God who created this universe creating a fire hot enough to melt everything in this earth. All of our toys, all of our possessions, all, all of the things that we, uh, we, we, we work so hard for, and there's nothing wrong with those things. I'm not trying to say that toys and possessions are evil, but I just think Peter's just reminding us that all of these things are going to be burned up. My sweet wife asked me to extend our kitchen and we're going to we're going to we're in the process of doing that and and uh make our house a little more comfortable we're we're doing that yeah 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 we're doing that but all along peter's saying you need to remember it's 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 going to burn up at the end of the day well he says this and he says beloved i don't want you to be ignorant of god's purpose for the earth i don't want you to miss out In verse 11, he says, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? In view of the coming judgment, Christians need to stay close to Christ and His standards. How are you going to do that? That's a good question. How can I stay close to Christ in in such a a social uh, condition that is gravitating, gravitating us towards sin. Well, how are we going to do that? We're going to do that by intentional living. Parents intentionally imparting to their children the Word of God, the things of God in the home. If parents are depending upon the church to be all of the spiritual uh, instruction that their children are going to have or need, They're going to be sadly disappointed. God intended Christian homes to have regular family devotions, regular Bible study, regular prayer, and and talking to one another, communicating with one another about the things of God. It's an intentional existence. Peter says, I want you to be intentional with your profession of faith. Then he says, the third point, the third division of this chapter is uh, between verses 12 and 14. 
Beloved, be diligent. Beloved, be diligent. Watch him. He says, looking for and hastening, hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall uh, melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing uh, that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. Be diligent. In what way? In obedience to God's word. Being diligent in obedience to God's word. We know from the testimony of scripture that there's a day coming of divine judgment, but notice the word nevertheless. Nevertheless, we according to the promise. What promise? He's referring to Isaiah 65 and Isaiah 66, where God said 700 years before Christ came, I'm going to create a new heavens and a new earth. And in that place, there's only going to be righteousness. I'm so glad about that. I'll tell you what, the longer I live in this world and the more mistakes I make, I'm telling you I'm looking forward to a day when I don't make any more. How about you? We're looking for it, aren't we? Only righteousness. Only righteousness. What a wonderful, wonderful place. Can I submit this for your consideration? And this is 1 Jeff 2.3. But can I submit? I, be, I believe that in the morning of creation, when God created Adam and Eve and placed them in the garden, Remember the perfect beauty of that place, the harmony and unity of that place? I, I believe that that's what God is going to recreate at the end of this age. It's going to, it's going to fulfill his original design. We're going to have grass that you never have to mow, flowers that never fade, trees that keep their leaves. I said it was First Jeff two three, but 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 I believe that that's what Peter is reminding these persecuted Christians about. He's saying, "Hey, there, there's there's a better day coming," and and what the devil and the flesh and the world want to do is to take away your hope. They they want to take away our hope. But Peter says, "Don't let them do that. Let them, you know they might take away your property. They might take away your finances." They might take away your vehicle. They might take away uh, everything that you have or connected to in this world. But don't let them take away your faith and your hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Be diligent. Be diligent. Turn back your Bible to the language of 1 Peter chapter 1. Listen to what he says in 1 Peter chapter 1. He says, uh, you know, God has... Um, uh, begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead in verse 3, verse 4, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and faith is not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice. Are you rejoicing this morning? Or wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, he says for a short time, 
If need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. You know what he's doing? He's showing us where our hope is. He's showing us the basis of the hope that we have. What keeps us going when the going gets tough? And the going does get tough, doesn't it? When we have loved ones that have cancer. When we have loved ones that pass away. When we, when we uh, see uh, the tragedies that are all around us. It, sometimes it affects. It kind of chips away at our hope. But then we remember the basis of our hope is Jesus Christ. The basis of our faith is Jesus Christ. The object of our faith is the promises of God. The past promises of God are what give us a a present uh, joy and, and a present peace in future glory. So Peter's just, all he's doing is reminding us of what we already know. He's reminding us that the gift of faith is to be used. You know, Paul said in Hebrews 11 verse 6, Without faith it is impossible to please God, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of who? Them that diligently seek him, intentionally seek him. Brothers and sisters, we need to intentionally seek after God and God's word. Then the Apostle Peter goes from the diligence. uh, He goes from that diligence to the fourth point this morning. He's calling us to believe what God says. To believe. In verse 15 he says an account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation. Now that word account means uh, to believe. Uh, Trust. We, We trust. We believe what God's word says, that the long-suffering of the Lord is salvation, even as our beloved Paul, a uh, beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. Now that's why, that's one reason I believe Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, the letter to the Hebrews, because Peter said he was going to write a letter to the Hebrew Christians. He says, yeah, they're hard to understand, verse 16 and also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things. These things. What things? The coming judgment. The coming of the Lord. And the happy uh, environment of the redeemed that we'll enjoy on that day. Paul wrote a lot about that. In which some things are hard to be understood. Which they that are unlearned and unstable rest. And that word rest means to twist or pervert. You know what? There's a lot of people that claim to believe in salvation by grace. They'll tell you that straight up. We believe in salvation by grace. But unfortunately, a lot of what they do with the scripture is twist it into something that sounds more like human effort. Sounds like decisional regeneration. That I can decide if I'm going to be a child of God or not. They rest the scriptures. The scriptures never teaches that, brothers and sisters. 
Regeneration is the direct operation of the Holy Spirit in the life, in the soul of, a, uh, of an elect child of grace. Hard to be understand. Some, some people don't understand it, so when they don't understand it, they twist it to mean something that it doesn't mean at all. And they do it to their own destruction. That's dangerous, isn't it? We need to believe God's word. Did you know that when you believe what God says, that's going to build your hope? That's going to build your faith. That's going to build your peace when you believe God. I, I love the story in Acts chapter 27 when the Apostle Paul was being taken to Rome, the first imprisonment, when he was being taken to Rome. Do you remember the great storm, Eurocladon, at sea? And, and for day after day, they didn't see the moon, the sun, or the stars, so they didn't know where they were in the mid, middle of that storm. Everybody is scared to death. And this little preacher gets up and says, uh, be of good cheer. What? In a storm? Be of good cheer. For the one that I belong to has appeared unto me tonight saying that it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And in Acts chapter 27, verse 25, he says, Sirs, I believe God. That's what it comes down to. Do you believe God or not? Do you believe God and what God has promised in His Word or not? It comes right down to that. It's important for us to nurture our hope through God's Word of promise. Listen to what Paul said in Romans chapter 15 and verse 4. Whatsoever things are written aforetime are written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. You see it? Do you see it? We have a nurturing aspect of hope by the use of God's word. So Peter says, I'm agreeing with Paul. You need to be in the word. You need to listen to the word. You need to believe the word. And by the way, the word that I'm preaching is the same word that Paul preached. Did you know that's what I want to dedicate my ministry to? Not preaching Jeff's gospel. Not preaching your gospel. But preaching the gospel that Jesus Christ preached and his apostles. And last point this morning. Beloved, beware. Listen to what he says. In verse 17 and 18. Ye therefore, beloved, beloved, seeing ye know these things, you know I'm telling you the truth. Ye know these things before, beware, beware, lest ye also being led away with the error of the wicked fall from your own steadfastness. In other words, give up hope. Just totally get depressed and discouraged. Throw in the towel. It's easy to do. But he says, beware so that you don't fall. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory forever. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Now let's think about this. Beware. 
Beware of what? Beware of the things that contradict God's word. Whether it's doctrine or practice. You hear me? Beware of the things that contradict God's revealed word. Jesus in Matthew chapter 16 verse 6 said, I want you to beware of the laven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. In Philippians chapter 3 verse 2, he said, the apostle Paul said, I want you to beware of evildoers. Not everybody around us is trying to work for the good of the kingdom or the good of the church or the good of the nation. Be discerning. Colossians chapter 2 verse 8, beware of vain philosophies. <laughs> Any philo- you, you children in school, especially in college, listen up. Any teaching that a professor, I don't care how much authority they have or tenure they have, any teaching that contradicts the existence and power of the living God, you reject. So how are we to have present hope in past promises and the future glory that is to come? Paul said in Romans chapter 8 verse 18, He said, I reckon that the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. How are we going to be intentional about the hope that God gives us through His Word? Number one, we're going to be mindful. We're going to remember the promises of God in His Word. Number two, we're not going to be ignorant. We're not going to be ignorant of God's Word And we're not going to be ignorant of Satan's devices to twist it into something that isn't true. Number three, we're going to be diligent. We're going to be diligent, intentional in our obedience to God's word. Number four, we're going to believe what God said, even though we might not understand it all. I'm I'm going to tell you, we're teaching through the book of Revelation, and I can be honest with you, I don't understand everything we're going to study in the book of Revelation, Brother brother Kevin, but I know it's true. Even if I can't explain it or understand it, I'm I'm going to use the Word of God because I know it's true. And then lastly, we're going to beware. We're going to beware of the things that attack the character and integrity of the Christian calling. Because, beloved, if we do these things, I'm again going to appeal to, in closing to the language of the Apostle Peter in, cha- in that first chapter. He said we are to add to our faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, Knowledge, temperance, temperance, brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness, charity. If these things be in you and abound, they shall make you that ye shall be neither be barren nor unfruitful. You know what? That's where I want to be. That's where Peter was. And the first century church, they were bearing fruit to the glory of God because they were laying hold on those past promises. God bless these words to your comfort and edification and his glory this morning. Thank you.